0: Welcome to Path to Story, a Warhammer Age of Sigmar Path to Glory podcast, where we focus on the lore, rules, and storytelling of narrative play. Thank you for joining us once again as we pitch our tents, set up camp, and share our tales from around the Path to Story. Your companions around the campfire this episode are...
1: I'm Will, but today I am Mendrul, the Uncrowned Deceiver, capricious
0: herald of the webbed fortress
2: the web fortress sounds like a spider i'm in yeah, i was
0: kidding. <laughs> that was so long i only remember web fortress <laughs> uncrowned deceiver yeah. that's the first thing that's <laughs> the most important part i
2: mean of course you remember truly, that that's yeah. the spider part yeah. this, is, this is normal <laughs> this is how my life works
3: <laughs> his name was is a... mendril or mend for short yeah but beyond mandy. that Mendy. yeah mandy the web guy
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. he works in it
2: all right now at this point it sounds like we're in some IT helpline.
0: Yes, exactly. Right. Outsourced, yeah. right?
2: Like, that's what's going on in my head. Oh
0: my god, you know what this is? Is that, Paul, this is for the gibbering dome. This is the guy that has to deal with the connections when it, like, is spinning and it, like, <laughs> swings back and he's like, ugh, okay, I've got to hang on. I'm going to troubleshoot this. They're having trouble getting in. Yeah. <laughs>
2: exactly.
3: Oh,
0: Amazing. It...
3: Well, I'm Harry, but today... I'm Thedror Preymonger, instinctive cannibal of the predatory massacre.
0: <laughs> <It's> instinctual cannibal. <laughs> I lo- yeah. uh, There's two things I love about that. The first is that it implies that there's non-instinctual cannibalism, which, yep. up to this point, I thought was most cannibalism. But I guess this guy proves it <laughs> proves it otherwise.
2: Also, like yeah. at that point, if it's instinctive, is he doing anything morally wrong? Because it's yeah, literally just like hardwired into him that he's just got to eat his, his brothers, you know, and yeah. his friends.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah I don't know. This is a good question here. Exactly. Watching yellow jackets, but I'm very, I'm very into the cannibal conversations at the moment.
1: Say, <laughs> <laughs> I imagine this dude was like, after the first battle, he's standing there, and they're like looking for survivors, and he's like, "Guys, hear me out. I have an idea. You might not like it." But what if we use this for food?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it, did, it does feel like something you would see in somebody's like Twitter profile. You know, like 26. Like, yeah, you know, uh, instinctive uh, Cannibal. Uh, EFPJ, yeah, like Instinctive Cannibal. What? Well, it's also a great band name.
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> instinctive Cannibal, the band. The band. Well, I'm Paul, but today I am Jagasik Aeroflare, a brutal killer of the crawling sea.
1: The arrow flare, I and crawling sea. So I imagine like this dude's a pirate, and he literally just like lights arrows on fire and shoots them up into the air so people can see.
2: I like that. He's like a he's like a lighthouse, but like yeah, exactly. literally just like throwing infinite arrows into the sky. <laughs> like, don't yeah. come here. This is dangerous.
1: They they didn't have enough money to build him a lighthouse, but they did provide him a bunch of arrows.
2: (laughs) All right. Here's the job, right? Like, dude, I get it. I I know it's not a great situation. We don't have enough money to like build you a house or like a home or anything. But here's what we're going to give you. Infinite arrows, right? And infinite oil and just light everything on fire while you're sailing on this boat across the sea. It'll be fine. It'll be great.
1: We got to a it. lawn chair. You just sit on the edge of the coast and just fire those things up into the sky. Like every every three and a half minutes, just do another one.
3: If if you think there might be a boat out there, yeah, yeah, just, just <laughs> shoot one off.
2: I tell you, if you do this job as an intern really well, you know, maybe we'll have a position for you in the fall. Yep. Like you know, like yep. a permanent position. So like, this is a great job opportunity. Just think of all the exposure you're going to get from this.
3: We can't promise anything right now. And of course, there's no pay, but you know, yeah, there yeah. are unlimited arrows.
2: Just think so. of the experience, right? Like think right. of the job experience here. You can write down on your resume in the future. The
3: exposure.
1: <laughs> All right, and then um, unfortunately, we were going to have Kieran go with him and his name for today, but we do have some technical issues, so Kieran will be mostly silent for the rest of the episode. But we are going to hear him when he does his Path to Glory review for the Disciples of Zinch. Until then, we're going to move on uh, to just touch real quickly with Harry about uh, Warhammer Fest. Paul and I, we had a, a very long conversation about what we thought about what they previewed, but we wanted to hear your thoughts, Harry.
3: I mean, bottom line up front, I'm just blown away. Um, they, they always... Impressed me with the models that they're coming out with and Mm -hmm. the direction they're taking the game. Um, But not only did they touch on multiple factions, um, they announced the new narrative campaign arc, which we know normally comes towards the, we'll call it the maturity of an edition. (laughs) Um, And so we're getting into... The uh, probably the later months of 3rd edition here and so we're seeing them open up into a narrative campaign which again that in and of itself would have been enough for a a preview but then they also had a new monster for Oric War Clans they had um, they had some previews for the very highly anticipated Cities of Sigmar revamp and they had two new war bands uh, for established factions for war cry, uh, which were also incredible. And um, I might be missing it here. I think they also have a, uh, did they preview the underworld's um, next box? Was that at Warhammer fest or was that before then?
1: That was before with that was the before. new Stormcast.
3: Uh The, yeah, with the, uh, with the, Oops, all wizards Stormcast.
1: Yeah, because they um, also showed off the uh the Zinch demons. Yeah. Those were so cool to see like the huge crowd reaction for.
3: Oh yeah, I'm sure. That was so that was at Adepticon then. Not yeah, at that was not Adepticon. Fest. Okay, okay. So yeah, with uh the Warhammer Fest stuff, um working backwards as I listed um the uh the war cry um war bands. We've got again another great collection of reimagined flesh eater courts, um, which mm-hmm. I know you guys probably already talked about this on the other on the quick reaction. We actually episode.
1: didn't talk about the Warcry stuff.
3: Okay, so I mean, here's another great example of where flesh eater courts can go um, yeah. when once they start reimagining the the models and the characters. Um, they're really leaning heavily into the illusion of, um, of nobility that they believe themselves to be something other than what they are in reality. Um, and so you've got this knightly character, you've got some of his, his thralls, you've got hounds that appear to be some sort of zombie bab- baboon creatures. Um, uh, just incredible stuff all around. Uh, once the whole line looks like this, I I'm not going to be able to help but get an, an army because th- these models are incredible. Yeah,
1: um, one cool thing that has been made known now that wasn't known at the time of Warhammer Fest is like the lore for that leader is super cool because he was a a commoner who got turned into um, an abhorrent. Like he was. At least that's his lore within the courts. Really, he was a ghoul that then became,
3: okay, a vampire.
1: So that itself is like an awesome narrative thread to pull into your own path to glory campaigns. Like there are, oh, yeah, the the ghoul kings who were only ever vampires. Like yep. they've never been ghouls and then you have this dude who's like an outsider or an outcast he's like become like new rich
3: rose, rose through the ranks yeah yeah i
1: think that is such a cool narrative concept for someone to to base a path to glory progression off of
3: oh yeah
2: like, like we're all insane but like dude you're like not as cool of an insane guy as we are. Like who do you think you are trying to bust right. into our completely insane killer posse <laughs> when you haven't established generations of being insane? I mean, come on.
3: I mean, come but on, but this guy shows a lot of potential. He's wearing a face on his face. <laughs> yeah. So I mean that's, that's a warm ass. That's upward mobility right there.
2: Yeah. Yo, dog, I heard you like faces.
3: Yep. Yep. I was just pointing out earlier uh, when I was showing my son these models that he, uh, that the um, warband leader for the Flesh Eater Chords echoes the Praetors from Stormcast in that he's got that cloak, he's got that halberd, he's got Mm -hmm. a fancier face mask and armor. So.
1: Oh, that's so good. I didn't even notice that. Um, The other thing I really love about the Warcry reveals that we didn't talk about, but we need to talk about, especially on this show, (laughs) (laughs) is that it specifies in the lore for the Stormcast that sometimes these groups of elite Stormcasts are picked by Dracothian.
3: Oh, nice. Which is the
1: entire lore of my Stormscale Covenant. Right. In the Seraphon book, it mentions that there are cults of Dracothian within the Church of... I forget how to pronounce Sigmar's last name, but cult it's like Umberogan. the church of Sigmar. Yeah. Umbrogen.
3: Umbrogen, yeah. yeah.
1: So it's the church of Umbrogen, And then there's a side cult that worships Dracothian. So, I mean, I know I got friends in high places, but I it's like to think cool. that someone there is a listener of the show and is just like kind of putting those things in there. I mean, they or also have a spider King. So like, cult. yeah,
3: yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's so much good in here. Um, these, the, the Stormcast faction, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording today about how cool it is to see a whole team mm-hmm. of Questors. So these are called the Questor Soul Sworn, which has echoes of the, the Soulbound role playing game, as well as this whole concept of the Knights Questor, where they're Stormcasts that are given specific tasks. Kind of outside of the normal rank and file armies of Sigmar. They're going out kind of like your elite special forces and taking on these specific missions on behalf of the Lord Commander or Sigmar himself. Yeah. Which Paul pointed out also, we get hints of that same concept in the Black Talon uh, series. If any of you have been watching Warhammer Plus, Um, there's some of that going on in that series as well.
1: Yeah. You're not wrong. And I love the idea of that because there's so many ways you can utilize that narrative. Um, Like if you're any order army who can ally Stormcast, bring this Warcry band as like, your cause is so just that Sigmar sent a few of his guys to come help you out. His elite troops.
3: Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And then of course that, you know, Here's another um Seraphon Ziggurat. It's another Realm Shaper <laughs> engine. Um this one's slightly uh overgrown, but I mean goodness for a, for an expansion box to have uh such centerpiece scenery to it is just incredible.
2: Yeah. yeah. So,
3: it, it's pretty awesome. Yep. Yeah. So I know I know that's not Age of Sigmar um, Central, like it's Warcry is a spin-off game. But all of that stuff, like we've seen all along, all the warbands are going to become playable units in the factions. And that scenery is just lending itself to great narrative stories, great narrative battles. So I'm sure people will pick it up, even if they're not playing it for Warcry. It'll help out with their pass to the glory.
4: Yeah,
2: agreed. Or Path of Glory is a great place to expand upon those narratives and just come up with some old homebrew homebrew rules Yeah. to say, Mm, all right, this is the narrative, but I'm going to create some other units that allow that as well,
3: right? Right, right. And that is a good place to bring up an idea that I've been kicking around. I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, um, but of playing games of Warcry using models from our Path to Glory armies for when my son and I want to get in a quicker game just playing mm-hmm. Warcry with those models and instead of doing a full Warcry campaign just use that as the game that we played for our Path to Glory and still doing maybe in a some sort of amended aftermath sequence after that Warcry uh, battle to still yeah. reflect on some progress for our armies.
2: I mean, if you just use the treasure table from Warcry after you finish your game and like incorporate that, like that's 100% an awesome narrative way of incorporating both of those settings together. So,
3: yep. Yep. So there's lots of ways that you can get story for your armies um, through different styles of games and different size of games. Absolutely. So, for the rest of my reactions, um I'll try and be a, l- a little quicker here. Um oh, gosh. the the uh the Cities of Sigmar Cavaliers, um I mean, where do I I don't even know where to begin with how awesome <laughs> they are. Like I've loved human knights as part of Warhammer since the mid-90s. Um you know, I've got Empire Knights, I've got a whole bunch of the knights from the Battle Masters game um, that I picked up here recently. Um, I'd say my my only gripe with these is that they all appear to be on sixty mil bases. So all those knights that I was going to play as demi griffs, I'm now going to have to rebase onto sixty mil bases, which is not not <laughs> oh, the worst yeah. thing in the world. Um, but I still want these new ones. You know, I'm excited to see horses come back, horse knights come back to Horses? What are horses in the mortal realms? (laughs) Right. That don't exist before. Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, they were always there on the edges and apparently elves have them but um, but humans didn't seem to have a whole bunch of them (laughs) um, until now. So, um, yeah, so horses in the mortal realms um, they're back. And I'm excited for it. This new reimagining of them is just incredible looking. Um, yeah. These, these models will be tons of fun to play with. Um, speaking of cavalry, that's tons of fun, um, literally tons of fun, is the Mogranta oh for the Iron Jaws, yeah. which I feel like, in all the excitement for Warhammer Fest, the online reactions, kind of miss this guy. Um, although I'm sure the Greenskins players out there didn't miss him. Right. Um, this is just incredible. It's another big monster for an army that is essentially an army of big monsters. Um, yeah, it's all the Iron Jaws players out there are probably just shaking in anticipation of the being able to field this model. It's, yeah. Well, and they mentioned awesome.
1: that there's like a character or hero version, so everyone is just like chomping at the bits to do a whole hog army.
3: Oh, nice. Yeah. Bring that will because... be incredible.
1: Uh, whole hog, I got whole it. Hog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought that was going to slide right by. No. Um, yeah, because one of the sub-orc sub-factions like, allows the Gorgrentas to be battle line.
3: Uh-huh. So Uh you take
1: that and then put big pig as your general and then you're, (laughs) it's just all pigs.
3: It's yeah, Uh, man. I've got to say iron jaws are probably some of the most fun to play in all of age of Sigmar. Like I enjoy other armies more and the lore behind other armies more, but on the table playing iron jaws, it's pretty straightforward. And they they're very rewarding to, yeah. to pl- smash into enemy models. And then that brings us to the last part of the uh, the reveals, which was the Dawnbringers Campaign series. So we gotta look at um the first book, Harbinger's, uh, which stars none other than a reimagined all plastic version of the classic harbinger of decay for maggot kin of nurgle which is just as incredible as the old version
1: oh Um, my gosh yeah
3: an amazingly detailed and characterful model
1: Um, i mean what a way to bring back like um an older model re envisioned, but like still maintaining everything that made it cool when it was old. And yeah. It just it's just new. It's just a new version of it. But it I don't know.
3: Right. I mean I love I love when they come out with brand new stuff. Like that that Mog runter. That you know, yeah. it was nothing like that has existed before. But they definitely have some sculptors working at Games Workshop now that have a bad, bad case of nostalgia. You know, like <laughs> they they are taking some classic, classic models and reimagining them in incredible ways. Well, um,
2: the other thing is that that model is, you know, it obviously pays homage to the Death Dealer, um, one of the classic pieces of fantasy art. Yep. Yeah. So it's awesome yep. to see that reimagined again, and 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 the new technology as well. This makes it so much more, so much more movement and so much more character, um, while still paying homage to the original sculpt. So it's like. All right, so we like the original sculpt, but also we like this other artwork. So let's just do both at the same time. Yeah. Yep.
3: Yeah.
1: And it's such a flex to be like, we know you loved this thing, but look at what we can do with it now. Like, we know you love the Harbinger of Decay. It's awesome. And this is closer to what we imagined. Yeah. And just like more.
3: Oh yeah, and and they're doing that on on both Age of Sigmar and Warhammer forty thousand right now. There's oh, yeah. There's so much of that going on. That's why, I said some somebody at the sculpting studio, um, r- is feeling very very nostalgic with their their sculpts. Um, <laughs> they they also previewed uh what is it, three other heroes that are all coming out along with this first campaign book. So we've got another great um, Flesh Eater Quartz um, also kind of with that, that Grim Reaper aesthetic. He's Mm -hmm. got a a big scythe um, and he is called the Marrow Scroll Herald. Um, So that'll be interesting. He's got a
1: a fancy cloak.
3: Yep. (laughs) Yep. He's got his, his fancy cloak and he's, none too happy about whoever it is that he's facing off against a yeah. um, lot lot of character in that model and then um i was surprised by this next one this uh grimhold exile is a new fire slayers character that almost looks exactly like not exactly like but it looks very similar to one of the first real uh plastic models that they Ported over from um, from Warhammer Fantasy to Age of Sigmar. and that was uh, what do they call it now? It was the old um, uh, Slayer. Yep. And for it a time, he was the, the White Dwarf.
2: It was a Slayer King's son. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it began with the G, but I'm just I'm blanking on the name.
3: Yep. And then they they had it for a time. You could paint that model up as uh, Grombrindle. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and I, I think the unbroken is what they call that model now, but this is a, a fire Slayer specific version of that model with hammers, um, with more movement, more character. Um, but I can definitely see the nods back to the other, the other sculpt. Um, so very cool model. I'm sure Fire Slayers characters or Fire Slayers players rather will be excited to to add this guy to their armies. Yeah. Um, or other players. We'll get get to that in a second. Um, and mm-hmm. then finally, we have a rabble rabble Rouse, which is a new Gloom Spike Gits hero. Amazing. Um, who has a little bit of everything going on. <laughs> yeah. He's got. A mushroom he's got a squig skull he's got a moon-shaped scythe and three bat squigs uh flying over top of him so yeah Yeah. lots going on here an amazing sculpt um
1: Um, a, a new interesting piece of information i found within the past week i can't think of i can't pull up the name right now but um it's kind of been a known thing where like event exclusive models or a lot of modelers like first chance to get a model like out into the public before they start working on larger projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person who made this sculpt and this model had posted on Twitter. This is their first the first thing they've actually made with Games Workshop. Oh, wow. Which is so cool because it's so cool looking. Such an amazing model fits everything like you said there's a lot going on every right. aspect of like gloom spike gets is kind of here except for a spider um uh, and just right. like a really well done job for someone's like first publicly released model
3: i would not have guessed it was a new sculptor Right, uh, i would have guessed it was somebody who'd already been working on the the more recent gloom spike get stuff like you see with the goblet and um some of the characters they've had over yeah. the last couple editions um, wow that's Kudos to whoever that is. It's, yeah. it's a very cool model. Um, but each of these models is also going to be leading a unique regiment of renown, which, Will, you've talked a little bit about uh, how cool the regiments of renown are and how they play directly into some of the stuff we've been talking about for Path to Glory. Um, yeah. So if you if somebody likes one of these new models and wants to bring it into their army, but they're like, Oh, I don't play that army. Good news. You've now got a regiment of renown that goes along with this character yep. that you can take with your army of the same grand Alliance.
1: Yeah. And like in the preview reaction episode, we talked about like how you could use this to kickstart a path to glory. But to your point, Harry, this is a great way of taking any, let's say, death army. Let's say you play Nighthaunt. You can now tie it into the story of this book because you can have that named character and their regiment of renown fighting alongside your army. Yep. So like, yep. even if you are not playing this specific army that's offered in these four models, mm-hmm. you can still connect to the overall story because they are regiments of renown.
3: Right, and I think that's a, a genius way of doing the the campaign that they're they're launching here yeah by by tying into those regiments of renown, you give every player an opportunity, regardless of what faction they play, regardless of whether they play more than one faction um, to to feel like their army is part of the story and has some some impact on the direction of the mortal realms
2: well and even if you play the army that this is from right you can still include that character and you can still include the other models as well of course yeah because those are fieldable in your army to begin with so it's just
3: everything right absolutely Yeah. yeah no one's getting left out for sure so I was a bit surprised at the name for this whole series that they went with the Dawnbringer Crusades. Um, because I think for a while a lot of us, and maybe it was just me, but I, I think a lot of people thought that Dawnbringer Crusades was possibly another name for the reimagined cities of Sigmar. Um and we weren't sure is it gonna come out as Battletome Cities of Sigmar or is that getting sidelined in favor of a Battletome Dawnbringer Crusades? Right. Um and so, nope, it's it's going to be Cities of Sigmar, and Dawnbringer Crusades is going to be something in addition that everybody gets to take take part in the story of. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is bringing it full circle from the beginning of the edition, when we had the Dominion box come out, where it was kind of the kickoff of the Dawnbringer Crusades. And if you uh, read or listened to the Dominion book um, by Darius Hinks. It talked about the story of a Dawnbringer Crusade going out into the wilds and establishing new um, outposts for Sigmar.
4: Yeah,
1: and another like interesting thing we've seen throughout the Battle Tomes is like how different factions react to Dawnbringer Crusades, mm-hmm. like if at all. Like um, Daughters of Cain, they have their own like. <laughs> Their own ver they even say it's like their own dark mirror of the Dawnbringer Crusades where they like lead cultists out to set up oh, new cities nice. for Marathi Kane. I think people coined the term like Bloodbringer Crusades or something. You got the Seraphon helping out. You've got this new Fury, the Grimhold exile, the, the new Fireslayer dude, mm-hmm. maybe doing his own version of it. Like they've done a good job of planting seeds throughout the addition of like, yes. Dawnbringer crusade is specific to like Sigmar and cities of Sigmar, but the idea of going out and settling new cities in the wilds is something every faction is kind of exploring in some way or another. Absolutely. Um, So it's really cool that this series of books is going to touch every faction and it's not just battle tome Dawnbringer crusades replacing cities of Sigmar. Exactly.
3: Yep. Yep. So I think that was everything from Warhammer Fest, but I appreciate you giving me the chance to talk about it.
1: No, I mean, it's so cool. Like we like just last minute, we're like, instead of playing a game, let's just talk about it. And I feel like everyone deserves the opportunity to talk about how cool everything was.
3: Yeah. It's it. I mean, and it's right on the heels of I mean, they just launched the uh, Seraphon, which all those cool models. I still can't get over how, how neat some of that stuff is.
1: Oof, yeah. Um, I don't know. When we're recording this, the rest of the line isn't out. Maybe by the time it's released. Maybe not. No idea. They haven't told us. But oh, I cannot wait for all the models to come out.
3: Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. so much awesome stuff coming out for Age of Sigmar this year.
1: Uh, so good.
3: And that's that's on top of a new edition of 40K coming out, which... It's just bad for my wallet.
1: I know, right? Like we're getting so much and it's not even like the main headline for Games Workshop.
3: Right, right. (laughs) This is the off year for Age of Sigmar and they're just knocking it out of the park. It's so much cool stuff.
1: Oh, so exciting. Uh, With that being said, we're going to take a little break here and let Kieran chime in and talk about his Path to Glory review for the Disciples of Sienge.
2: Also, I'm hearing some fun music. Are you playing the mouth harp?
0: Yeah, it's me.
1: Nice. Kieran, take it away.
0: Well, hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Kieran's Corner. My name is Kieran, but today, you can call me very sorry. Uh, as you may have noticed during the episode, I'm not even sure how much we'll have been able to salvage from the beginning. I, you know, introduced us and then was remarkably quiet for the rest of the episode. So that is because um, my internet is terrible uh, and I need to record wired up to it. But to do that, I need to get a very long cable. So here we are. I'm currently going to chat to you all about the uh, Path to Glory campaign featured in the Disciples of battle tome. This whole campaign, I think when I s- started looking at it, Whenever I flipped through it before, there's a lot of things that I liked about it, um, but I was never quite sold on it. And actually, it's quite funny, as I've been going through it for the purposes of um, reviewing it here today, there's a lot. There's a lot that's unique and happening within the Zintune campaign. Um, a lot of really cool mechanics, a lot of really cool, unique. Battles you can fight, uh, and so we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, my only real critique of this entry into the Path to Glory system, which I'll talk a little bit about more at the end, is it feels like it it lacks a sort of specific direction that you or a specific goal that you're pushing towards. So um, what I mean by that is uh, a lot of the other ones that we've looked at, there's kind of an overarching narrative, uh, quest, project that your army is attempting to work on. I think about the Fire Slayers uh, review from the previous episode. They really, really care about uh, gold and contracts, and it's sort of you managing your magma hold all of those things uh, are really integral to the whole sort of campaign arc and i think from there it gives you just a little bit of structure to still tell your own story very very much within that um especially when we talked about how you know you can accept contracts from any faction including chaos and you know that will affect how the people of the mortal realms view you, etc., etc. It gives you a little bit more of a direction versus Zinch, which um, I feel like could just do with a little like a little bit of a of an overarching direction, but we'll get into that. So first things first, have the book open here with me. So if you hear uh, page turnings, you know, that's why there's a book here. Um, and hopefully that's nice and not annoying. Okay, so uh, the first thing that happens, again I'm not going like, to read this word for word, uh, I'm really going to try and give you a sort of overarching summary um, and point out some of the things that I like. So, the first thing that I really really like Games Workshop, they know why you're here. They know why you're playing Disciples of Zinch in A Path to Glory. And that's to play with all the wizards and all the summonings. So Zinch has a lot of very, very fantastic uh, cool mechanics, uh, which we won't get into uh, here, but suffice to say that it involves a lot of summoning demons and creatures. And so to that end, you start your Path to Glory campaign with uh, a battle limit of three wizards as opposed to one. So normally you would have to take... um, I think it's the arcane waypoint um, territory in order to increase your hero uh, sorry, yeah well your hero but not your hero for this one the wizard capacity uh so right off the bat you get to do some cool things with wizards which i love um as most of you know i also play um the lumineth and so i love wizards um i haven't actually read um the other demon centered books of the other chaos uh sort of god specific books so korn slanesh uh, and nurgle but it does here have um mechanics for including demons in your army they're not actually recorded on your roster of battle you summon them uh you can pick a number of demons at the start of the battle to add to your list which still has to comply with the points battle for, uh you know the points limit for that battle you can't uh, agree to say a you know 1500 point battle with your opponent, and then you say great, I'm now also going to add another 500 points of demons into the, into the list. Uh, and so the more powerful heroes you have, or powerful powerful um, Xinchian uh, heroes you have, the more demons you're allowed to include. Um, so the first thing, that big thing unique that we come to with the Xinchian Path to Glory, is there are rules for aerial battles. Which is very very cool. Uh, and each uh, the whole battle tome has two particular um, battle plans that you can follow. One of them is specific to a quest, although um, once you've oh, sorry, it's specific to a quest and a uh, and a territory upgrade. Uh, but the other one, which is a more general uh, sort of aerial battle thing, uh, as far as I can tell, and Please feel free to message into the show if I've got this wrong. But as far as I can tell, um, it just says, so where, where are we? This is uh, the pursuit, which is basically you are, yeah, an air, you fight in an aerial battle where one side is trying to escape and the other is trying to pursue them. Um, And, you know, you set up uh, up terrain pieces that can represent the tops of mountains or, you know, things like that. Um, But it says here, this battle plan is used with the Path to Glory battle pack in the core book. You can use this battle plan if both players agree to do so, and both players have units that can fly on their order of battle. Uh, This battle plan uses the aerial battle rules, which is what we're about to uh, chat about a little bit. So, yeah, as far as I can tell, that means that... um, So long as you're a Disciples of Zeech player. In fact, I I suspect the wording means that anybody can do it, but anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. So, Aerial Battles. This is actually something that, um, in a similar way to how we talked about with. um, With a similar way that how we talked about with the Fire Slayers and their whole gold mechanic, and the way that they can use that gold uh, in a variety of different ways. They can. You know, throw um, ale parties to uh, buff up their units uh, prior to the battle, uh, and on the, the high end of it, they can even uh, you know commission and forge new artifacts of power. Um, in the same way of that, aerial battles as rules feels like this should be something that everybody gets access to in Path to Glory. Like they're so they're so cool. They're so unique. Um, it's a very very dynamic way of playing, and so I won't again. I'm not going to go into all the rules exactly here for aerial battles, but suffice to say that things are moving quicker, twice the speed. So they roll two d6 instead of d6, we're making a run roll um, to sort of represent that the the you know you're usually you know flying via wings, jet power, magic, whatever it is. And so these battles tend to be much quicker. They uh, attack each other much quicker, which I think is really interesting. Um, Models, you might be wondering if you're fighting an aerial battle, well, what about all of my ground troops? Now, technically, they can take part in uh, aerial battles. However, and I'll read here, so this rule is long way up. Those bold enough to brave the heights can climb atop rocky outcrops and towering spires to lend what aid they can to their winged brethren. So this is any model that is unable to fly and that is set up or finishes a move wholly on open ground that is not within three inches of a terrain feature is slain. So essentially what this is, is like if you're not within three inches of a terrain feature, which in these uh, battles are considered to be, you know, the peaks of mountains, the tops of towers, um... And everything else is open air and open ground. Uh, any model that's not within three inches of a terrain feature that cannot also fly will, you know, plummet to their death. So. <laughs> There you go. Uh, they're brilliant. They're really cool. We're going to get into the battle plans a little bit later. I'm going to chat briefly about the Magnematic Ritual, which is the other one, the the first one being The Pursuit, which we've already mentioned. Uh, but I'm just going to go in book order here for a second. So the next thing we arrive at is the quests for the Disciples of Inch. They only get two, and that's kind of disappointing. I think a lot of other factions get... Um, two three four even Um, i know obviously we have a lot of of quests in our core book so you can always pursue those i would just like to have seen um a little a little bit more from these quests so so there are two quests here the first is is very very specific in that you are only going to take it in order to gain enough quest points to fight the magnematic ritual battle plan and the Magnematic Ritual battle plan um, allows you to upgrade one specific uh, special Xinchian territory uh, into its upgraded form. Uh, and that is actually the only way that you can do that. There are no other, apart from all the regular, you know, your Renown points, etc, etc. There are no other bonus rewards for fighting that battle plan. So we'll get into this in a second when we move on to the... Um, the territory section which i love like really really love i think they have some fantastic really interesting territories uh, but unfortunately one of the quests is tied to you can fight it and, and i suppose that would be great and you know you can fight it just for fighting its sake but in terms of it being an actual functional quest that feels like it's it's a part of your path to glory campaign you're only really going to take it once you have um unlocked that special territory which as we know dice rolls can be very uh, capricious and not reliable Uh, and so I don't I'm not crazy about the fact that one of the quests is kind of not locked behind but certainly tied very intimately to uh, something that you might not see for a long time in your Path to Glory campaign. The other one uh, allows you to give uh, veteran abilities to certain Demons of zeech so this would be Horrors, Flamers, and Screamers uh, in your next battle if you won a major victory. Which again, I like, um, and we're going to get into veteran abilities here in a second, but... It, yeah, what what is my issue with this one? I think my issue is that it doesn't feel very permanent. You, I guess, can always take the Rewards of Glory quest and you complete it when you win a major victory, uh, and then it's the next battle you fight, you get to add, yeah, it just like makes your flamers, demons a little bit better. That doesn't feel particularly impactful to me. Um, maybe it's different when you're playing it. Uh, obviously, this is just me sitting here reading the book. Um, so maybe that feels like a, a a greater mechanic when you're actually playing. But uh, And part of, okay, so part of, yeah, we're going to get into veteran abilities here. So again disciples of have a lot of really really cool veteran abilities but they it falls into that category of battle tomes uh, that we've had recently where of the six veteran abilities listed in the book uh five of them are unit specific so uh, arcane Fus- uh, yeah arcane fusillade is carrick acolyte units only savagery unleashed zangor hosts only 1-8 Zichy and Spears, Zangor and Lightened units only. The problem I have... I get... I, the design space for this is interesting, right? Because part of the problem when you're designing veteran abilities is um, you either have to make them broad enough uh, in a way that any unit could take it and benefit from it, or do you make it specific, as in this case, and you can very, very specifically buff certain or improve certain uh parts of that unit's war scroll and torn because i i agree and i really like the design space of let's specifically buff up these units but the problem being is that you know if i uh once i've given my kyra acolyte unit the arcane fusillade veteran ability um which allows it to you know once per battle you can uh, add one to hit and wound rolls uh made in the shooting phase um once i've given them that if they become a super veteran unit right like if they get enough um enough renown points to you know unlock another veteran ability well okay they could take miasma of instability which is the everybody has a general one um which is like yeah okay they could take that one but the other problem is then okay if i get another Carrier acolyte uh veteran unit oh, great, exciting, okay, you know, veteran ability is supposed to be one of those things that I allow you to customize your units. The problem is, is that I'm stuck between two choices again. And so if I have a third character Acolyte unit that becomes a veteran, I'm, again, stuck either with doing the Acolyte one specifically or the Miasma of Instability. Now, all of that said, there are the, core, the in the core book, there are the veteran abilities there. So you can take that so you can make it feel a little bit more customizable, but I'm just not crazy about... About the way that um, unit-specific veteran abilities are implemented, um, it feels. I love what it's trying to do. I love that it's trying to make that specific unit feel like this is a really souped-up version of it. It's not just a generically better unit. Um, but I, at the moment, with how it's implemented, I think with there only being six total, it feels quite restrictive. Um, so, yeah, we'll go on from that. So, yeah okay now we get into the territories uh and on the uh, page opposite from that if you're following along at home in the disciples of zinch uh, Tome, there is also a name generator which i'm going to gush about in a second because i love it so the territories here are brilliant and actually uh where i mentioned at the uh start of kieran's corner Battle Tome review um where i mentioned that sometimes it feels like the Disciples of Zeech are lacking an sort of overall motif or an overall, um, I suppose plot structure in a way. Like if we're telling stories, you kind of want a, uh, sort of a plot direction to go in, um, at least as supported by the Path to Glory rules. Uh, some of these kind of feel a little bit like that. And so they, they, they they do play very, very well into the sort of role-play aspect of Path to Glory. Um, and what I mean by that is, say, for example, the first one, uh, which you can, when you roll your D66 to discover a new territory, uh, on a roll of 61 62, you can discover an Arcanite cult. And I'll read that here. Many of Sigmar's cities have been infiltrated by Arcanite cults. These secretive, clandestine organizations are hidden by illusion and deceit and can quickly gain control of a settlement if they are not discovered in time. So what this does is it allows you to take City of Sigmar units as allied units of your army. Which is great, because uh, anything that feels unique and different that you can't do in any other game modes in uh, Age of Sigmar, I really really like in Path to Glory. I like that we can kind of break and bend the rules a little bit. So you can take uh, Cities of Sigma allied units, um, when you upgrade, I love this, uh, the upgrade is called Unwitting Puppet. So when you pick your army, you can choose an Allied Citizen of Sigmar hero as the general of your army. Um, and I just, again, I, I, I love that this kind of allows you to go in a direction where uh, you are, you, you know, you've started as a Xenxian as a Path to Glory campaign. You're maybe, you know, trying to weasel your way into some of the Cities of Sigma, which is especially relevant with all the new releases coming up soon for Cities of Sigma and the Dormrigger Crusades. Um, yeah, I like that this uh, kind of represents you, you can, you know, infiltrating a city and then, you know, you can sort of take uh some units from there and you know it's a great way of uh i think if you're excited for the cities of sigmar uh release um in the next year then i think that but you also are maybe you know you already have some zinchin factions or you're just looking to pick up one or two things uh or you're just looking for a really unique way to explore the cities of sigmar within path to glory aside from whatever their Empath Glory campaign will be. Uh, I think this could be a really fun way of doing it, uh, that you are Xinchian and you're kind of making these uh, unwitting Cities of Sigmar um, cults, which is very, very cool. Other things include, uh, yeah, Floating Island, um, which allow you to do gather resources, uh, Summonation Circle, uh, sorry, Summonation site. Uh, you can uh, get extra demon units, which are great. The the last two in particular are very very flavorful for uh, Zeench. They're two of my favourite um, two of my favourite territories in any of the Path to Glory battle. Uh, sorry, in any of the Path to Glory campaign uh, things actually. So the first one is annex of the Crystal Labyrinth. This conquest is part of a wider scheme of fate that binds the stuff of reality, imbues it with the energies of disorder and brings it one step closer to becoming an annex of Zinch's Crystal Labyrinth. So this is really cool. This is a territory that's sort of representing um, Zinch's domain, which is the Crystal Labyrinth, uh, that your territory, your site, your uh, faction's base is, is beginning to uh, become part of it, which I just think is really, really flavorful. Um, very, very cool. It allows you to um, It allows you to recuperate. Uh, for units that took part in a battle, as though they did not take part in a battle, which is great. Um, we've talked in previous episodes. Um, Harry shared especially that that can get you know you can spend a lot of upkeep doing those things, and so that's that's quite nice. Um, it also, in a very zentian fashion, gives you the option you can instead uh roll three dice instead of having them the units benefit for the territory for each five plus you can give one unit on your order of battle which was not included in your army in that battle one renown point so it's quite cool most of the uh factions they'll have territories similar to this where um you can either improve recuperating roles or you can give renown uh to Uh, creatures uh, sorry creatures units that did not fight in the battle i really like the annex of the crystal labyrinth kind of allows you to do both it's a little bit of flexibility within just one territory um, because especially as you come up against your territory cap either because you're at the very high end of the path to glory uh, point system with your stronghold or you're about to upgrade into that next territory you know that next uh, level and you haven't quite got the number of territories you need. I really like that it's being very efficient with that. And the, the fact that you can choose feels very uh, zinchi as well. Uh, and then the last one is great. So the last one is if you roll um, on a 2d6, if you roll 6 and a 6, you can get access to the Silver Tower. One of the mighty strongholds controlled by a gaunt summoner has been spotted hovering over your kingdom. Uh, You can only ever have one of these, but when you uh, gain control of this territory, you can add one Gaunt Summoner to the Order of Battle, which is very, very cool. And particularly interesting because at the timeline we're currently in, uh, which is to say the uh, Era of Beasts, um, we have uh, all the Gaunt Summoners are still, as far as I'm aware, under the control of Archaon. So what that means is... Well, again, I'm going to, you know, Regardless of what it means, it means that, you know, it has Archaon, uh, you know, sort of um, seen your army and is well pleased with it and he sent a gaunt summoner to aid you or perhaps to keep an eye on you? Or has Zeench done something weird with that where uh, Zeench has allowed one of the gaunt summoners a little bit of extra uh, slack in the leash that Archaon has over them? Again, very, very interesting questions for the, for the actual story that you're telling, which is, which is great. Um, and then, lastly, before we just go into the battle plan, we have this brilliant, brilliant name generator, which I, I again the things that the disciples of each path to glory is doing, I think should be uh, included in every path to glory <laughs> section in every battle tome, uh, especially something like this, a name generator. It is brilliant uh so none of these it does make a point to say uh that none of these can conf- they these confer no in-game benefit but are a great way to add personality to your collection and i wholeheartedly agree and in fact i think that's the, the one of the reasons that we're playing path to glory specific i mean the reason we're playing age of sigma specifically and then even more within that path to glory is we want to tell these stories um and i love that yes there are plenty we're, we here at the path to story podcast use uh name generators all the time as you know there are plenty of name generators online and things like that and i love that and those are amazing and you should use them but it's also just really nice to have options within the book itself um and if anything it also gives you you know because it only gives you maybe six per um You know, like Arcanite First Name, Arcanite Last Name, Demon Names. It only gives you like a D6 amount of names. But if anything, it gives you an archetype for if you're coming up with Demon Names that you want to sound uh, suitably Xinchian, you've actually got six official names here from uh, Games Workshop that you can either use, change slightly, combine, sort of look at the patterns of the names and come up with your own Demon Names uh, alongside them. So really, really like it. Um, It gives you, yeah, there are Demon Honorifics. So, you know, you could have... uh, Pnaxis the Inevitable, you might have uh, Infilarax the Realm Strider, and oh god no, that, that was like me reading the discord prompt, I just uh, went for it and, and tripped before I even jumped. Um, yeah, they're just fantastic, they're great little flavor, nuggets of flavor, um, and I think it's things like this that um, can really also inspire you. I think sometimes um and why i like when path to glory campaigns i guess i'll talk about that now let's talk about zinch's kind of overall um that there isn't particularly one direction that it's trying to follow so i really really like um when the path to glory campaigns have something specific that you're trying to do some overarching uh mechanics some overarching um plan that you can still you are still have the full Uh, ability to tell your story, to pick the direction, to do everything. It's not like it's telling you what to do, it's just giving you a little bit of structure. Because sometimes I find that in the Path to Glory, uh, it gives you a lot of tools and toys to play with, but when you have so much freedom and so much like periphery stuff, it can feel like you get a little bit bogged down within your own story, within your own self, because you're kind of, you know. on one occasion, you might have a really, really clear idea about what you want this army to be, what you want them to do, what the story is that you're telling, and you allow that narrative to emerge as you play and change as you play. Um, but that isn't going to happen every time um, for most people. And for others, it might never happen. It might be a case of actually they're looking to these Path to Glory um, campaign rules to give them an idea of like hey maybe you could be pursuing this and you know here's a long-term plan or here's a long-term uh thing which quests often normally do but again as we've covered here uh not super crazy about how general and specific the two Xinchian quests are so i would like to um i would like to see that from uh further path to glory uh battle tome updates and we've seen that in some some of them that have released since the disciples of zinch book um especially for for zinch i i think one of the one of the the reasons that that a person might gravitate towards zinch is i mean it's one of the reasons i gravitate towards zinch is i really really enjoy the scheming the machinations the politics um which you're only going to get a certain amount of because we are playing the sort of military side of this, right? Um, there's not yet, yeah, but maybe we'll maybe we'll come up with rules for this. There's not actual rules for what does it look like to infiltrate a city and sort of play that game. That's not like open warfare where two armies are meeting on a battlefield, but it's instead um, sort of uh, silently influencing and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, now that's not to say uh, that i don't think it was i don't think it's the design team's job to come up with that for path to glory because basically what i'm describing is a whole different game system um but i would like to have seen more i don't know just more zinchian in an overarching sort of plot way uh in this path to glory battle tone um and a lot of that is going to come from you as the player um and again i i hate sort of i hate whenever my uh uh, feedback or or review is oh i would like to have seen more of this but i don't know what that would look like because it's like i'm sure that that came up during the design process for games workshop as well so maybe i'll have a little think of that and we'll we'll we'll, uh, come up with some kind of uh zinch uh path to glory edition or maybe even just like a politicsy path to glory edition uh that we can release to you all as well um but, yes, that aside, um, and I will briefly go into the battle plan. well, I'll do that now, um so this one is really, really cool. It just shows off the aerial battles really well it uh is it's a magnematic ritual, so you are attempting to uh upgrade your floating island to the soaring island, and so not only do you fight in this aerial battle plan, which is fantastic, and it has these uh the tops of mountains that are the terrain features uh that you're um your forces are hopping between which is great uh and remember again if you're ever thinking about oh well you know if i'm fighting this battle and i don't have anything that can fly um Aren't I going to be limited to where I can go remember that uh, for run movements you do 2d6 instead of d6 Uh, and so This kind of represents your your guys are sort of leaping between mountains and leaping between so that can add some extra Tension to that as well because obviously it's on the roll of the dice you roll really high you might make it to the next uh, terrain feature If not, you might be caught out in the open and so again very thematic. I think this would be Tremendous fun to play Um, and essentially The Xinchin player is attempting to uh, complete a ritual and the other player is attempting to stop them. So there are four points uh, on the battlefield which you mark as ritual sites. Um, The player who's attempting to stop the ritual if they have a hero at the beginning of their hero phase that's within three inches of a ritual site they get to roll a dice and a one to five the xinchian general is not found and the ritual site is removed from play and on a six that ritual site is revealed to be the general's hiding place and all of the ritual sites are removed from play what i love this is that uh, it is this you're fighting this sort of desperate Uh, battle to scrabble from mountaintop to mountaintop, uh, to fly, to jump, to leap, to try and uncover where is this Zinch cultist, where is this ritual actually taking place. Um, And again, it's it's always a dice roll, and if you get down to, if you uncover three sites and the general hasn't been found, then the last remaining ritual site is the general's hiding place. And so you're really attempting to um, get to these as quickly as you can, uh you might send out multiple heroes in order to do this uh and as each player is doing everything they can to block you off to screen you to make sure that you can't get to any of the ritual sites to discover their general i just think it's fantastic it's a really really flavorful um very very asymmetric battle plan which again when we're not talking about balanced tournament play um one of the absolute best things that we can do as players who are really really focusing in on our stories uh, is to play asymmetrical battle plans Uh, they allow um, narrative to emerge as we play you can just imagine the kind of shenanigans and the kind of uh, crazy dice rolls that will happen during this uh, battle plan Uh, and so big 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 fan of this so overall i really am a huge fan of the path to glory uh, rules for zinch as we've gone through i know i've sort of you know often had you know something to say of well you know maybe this could have been slightly different or i would like to have seen this um but it is really from a place of like actually really really enjoying it um and it's funny because i think when i first uh when i first read through this battle tome uh, this path to glory uh, section i really felt that lack of direction uh, and i think i um I was like oh maybe this isn't very good maybe you know there's not actually a lot here like i think it's going to really suffer but then when i actually began to d- really dive into it and see all of the toys and kind of all of the flavor that you get from uh this section i actually really really enjoy it i think it's one of my favorite uh path to glory uh sections in any of the battle tomes. um so that's wonderful um i'm hoping to I suppose this is a tiny bit of a reveal uh, for the show, but I have uh, the Arcane Cataclysm box set Well, that's not a reveal, I've talked about that before. However, obviously with the Xinchian inside of that, um, there's a sizable little number of forces there, so I'm hoping to get those all built up, and I actually might, in addition to all of the other Path to Glory campaigns that I'm attempting to run, I uh, will hopefully be running a Disciples of Xinch one. So I'm excited to play with those rules, I'm excited to play uh, with the Path to Glory system uh, for the Disciples of Xinch. Well, that is everything from Kieran's Corner this week. Uh, Hopefully, I will be back in the main room for the next recording of the podcast. So for now, it's back over to the guys on the main podcast, and I'll see you guys soon.
1: All right. Thank you for that, Kieran. Unfortunately, we couldn't hang out and chat with them alongside you, but I really appreciate the insights you actually were able to give us for everything the the people have seen chat going on. Now we're going to move on to battles that we've played since our last episode. Uh, as far as Paul and I go, we had talked about last time how we were playing through the White Dwarf campaign, and technically the campaign ended because I like won all the games, so we couldn't get to the final battle. Boo. Right. Uh, boo me. Boo.
2: How <laughs> okay, dare you play so well.
1: <laughs> it was a mistake, I swear. Uh, <laughs> so we decided that we were going to play the final battle anyways. Uh, this is the final battle from that White Dwarf campaign.
2: So, uh, again, we were playing the War in the Mine Warrens Flashpoint Clash. Yep. And this was in White Dwarf episode 484. And a specific name that we have for the battle plan is the Warped Heart.
1: The Warped Heart. Correct. Such, such a cool thing. Because I think the original narrative for this battle plan was it's almost like a like A laboratory for the Skaven, and mm-hmm. narratively, the Gloom Spike Gits are coming in and taking over. For the majority of this campaign, we had like changed the narrative, or instead of it being Skaven stuff, it was Bellacore stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for this battle, we kind of decided that it was still gonna be like a Skaven laboratory, mm-hmm. and we're both just fighting over it. Correct. Instead of one person necessarily being a defender.
2: Who wouldn't want to fight over a Skaven laboratory? I mean, that sounds right. like a great idea.
1: I mean, if you're thinking about it from, like, a, I guess either faction, really, the Skaven sometimes use guns. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. who wouldn't want to get their hands on that?
3: It reminds me of I was joking with my son about a Duardin character who was secretly an admirer of Clan Scryer technology mm-hmm. and what that would look and like. And, like,
1: would never admit it to other Duardin. Right. <laughs> I'm just picturing it now. I'm just like Dewarden running around like chewing on warp stone.
3: Yeah, he's like, where'd you get that long rifle? Um nowhere.
1: <laughs> don't worry about it.
3: <laughs> Why is it glowing?
1: It's fine. It's um it's action. Uh don't worry about
2: yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it's actually warp stone. Uh, it's good for you. It'll help your bones.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll feel all your bones. Um, anyway, sorry so, to derail. No, what you were Um and so the the way the battle worked is it split the like the battle map up into like sixteen portions, um, made it a four by four grid. And okay. the way you won is at the end of each of your turns, if you were controlling one of those grid squares, you could claim one of them, and then it becomes permanently yours. Mm-hmm. So if I pick the square in the northwest corner and capture that on turn one, Paul couldn't capture it in turn two. And exactly. the way to win is bingo rules. If you can do four in a row horizontally, vertically, or diagonally, you win. Oh, wow. If you can't do that, And like, no one does it at the end of five battle rounds. The winner is like whoever killed the most units or Mm -hmm. whoever had the most units left standing, similar things. Either way, I knew mathematically, if we got to that point, I was going to lose. Yep. Just because Paul had more units. So, and then the other thing that was a huge uh, wrench in everyone's strategies was there was a wandering monster. Uh huh. So you had to both plan what you were going to do, plan to prevent your opponent from doing their thing, and then worry about this wandering monster that's going to ruin everyone's day.
3: I I love when there's like third party threats to both armies on the battlefield. Yeah.
1: And I really like this battle plan because it had all these special rules for the narrative. But I just like that like bingo square idea and would kind of like to see them do that in like other pedal plans moving forward, just to see like how it works outside of this campaign and outside of like these campaign specific rules.
2: Yeah, no, it it was super fun. Um, Yeah. Not to give spoilers, but
1: (laughs) yeah. So (laughs) one of the things is we chose the wandering monster to be, what is it? The colossal squig. Yeah. Colossal squig. Which, and, hey, of
2: we got to play right before uh, they're no longer legal for match play, which doesn't matter to us because we were playing narrative play anyway, so they're still legal. Exactly. So, it's totally so we're fine. still good. Right. It's still fine.
1: <laughs> we were safe. Um, yeah. yeah, and so we set the map up to be tunnels since this is all like a tunnel campaign, especially since it was Skaven. And this thing starts off on Paul's side, both mm-hmm. kind of his side of the board and on his team. <laughs> and it just charges into my knights, which is like mm-hmm. my only mobility. Mm-hmm. The best. Yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna go through like my notes. So early on, um, my strategy was to go along the west side of the map, uh, and Paul was working along sort of the east side of the map a little bit. Um. A few turns in, the Colossal Squig changes sides, it joins my team, and then starts killing other squigs, which is fantastic for me. As soon as this happened, Paul decided to be a jerk and conquer one of the squares on the west side, so therefore I couldn't do four in a row
2: Uh and had to change.
1: So now suddenly I'm doing my board edge, which is the south side. And he's still working on the east. And it just becomes this massive, like, just grind as the squig actually got killed by his own squig herd, but then they all died in the battle shock. And then he had his Mangler squigs, which killed my Demon Prince, it killed my Knights. Most of my units went down. Um, but I was still, like, capturing the square as I needed to. And. The battle really came down to, could I pull off, like, a long enough charge to get close to his units, kill them in one turn, and then run to the final square? And looking at the numbers, the answer was, like, no. Except I was Legion of the First Prince, where I could give that unit the Mark of Slaanesh to give them that extra one on their run and charge rolls. Uh Uh-huh it was good enough to just get one single chosen model over the line. And he was able to get that fourth square for me. But I think yeah. at the end of the battle, that was the only unit I had left.
2: Yes. Oh, wow. Well, and the thing was, I, I had moved the unit closer to you. Cause I was like, Oh, this will be extra. And then I just totally, I, obviously I forgot about the plus one, but, uh, it was like I was like I'm gonna stop you from getting over here, but actually I just gave you a springboard to get over.
1: Unfortunately, yeah, you you gave me the ability to make a nine inch charge on top of my move. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, so poor yeah. choices
2: were made all around by me.
1: Uh, but uh, you also uh, made some amazing choices with yeah. like letting me get most of the way through on one side and then blocking me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, that was super fun. I appreciate it and really enjoyed that because I thought that was going to be, that was going to win me the game, but turned out, unfortunately,
1: yeah. Yeah, no, um, Legion of the First Prince is definitely not the best sub-faction for Slaves of Darkness, but being able to just, like, add on a mark of chaos I know has won me at least two games of it, like, being the deciding factor. Like, I wouldn't have done it. If I didn't have that, I couldn't have won.
2: Yeah, the ability to switch your bonus on the fly is awesome.
1: Yeah, it, it has been very useful. Um, yeah, so just looking at that, some basic aftermath things, all I did like with that victory was um, I was on the quest of defend your Territories, and since I was capturing everything on my side of the board, I was able to complete it, and I just upgraded my barracks so I can start bringing in uh not upgraded my upgraded my stronghold so that way I can get more territories down the road. oh, good, yeah, uh, I've been focusing too much on like getting the right units on the board with my all my glory points, and now I need to actually build out the stronghold itself
3: exactly. yeah, I need to do that. I've been spending a lot of glory on recruit rating losses, yeah. but we'll get yeah, to that. me too.
1: <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I did not. I need. I also spend a lot of the newfound glory on that too, just because <laughs> so many people died. Uh,
3: Casualty rolls can be rough. Yeah, yeah,
1: because like you th- you're thinking to yourself, okay, one in six on a unit of ten, that can't be that bad, right? Right. <laughs> but sometimes it can be because it's not well.
3: Specific. Yeah, it's accurate. per it's model it I'll
2: be like, oh, okay, one out of six. Got it. But then you roll the dice and you're like why is it five out of six today like why why yeah, yeah.
3: right right i've got the old uh, like basic uh games workshop dice and i use those so the the skulls are the ones nice. uh, yeah. and it's always fitting when i'm making my casualty rolls like just roll a handful and then oh look at all those skulls wait a minute that's not good
1: <laughs> um paul anything to add about uh the battle? I
2: love that um, battle plan. Yes. it It's probably one of the most like fascinating and interesting ways of playing a game uh, that we've played in quite a while. It's it, it just, you had to think about the way you were playing completely differently because it broke the fourth wall by saying, all right, we've got four quadrants. Now we're going to break those into four. But then that's going to be the way mm-hmm. that you actually win the game. Um, yeah. As opposed to objectives, so like, there were, I don't know, for some reason, it made me easier to be able to see what was going to happen further on and be like, all right, how do I do this? How do I do that? Right? You know, Uh, so it, it was a lot of fun. And the entire time we were playing, we were just like, this is actually really interesting. And like, I would love to see this format repeated in several different ways. Because it just it gave a completely different way of solving the problem of how
1: do I complete the mission. Yeah.
3: It sounds fascinating. Uh, remind me again, how did you control one of the squares? So you
1: treated a square like you would, like a normal objective. Uh, like a normal objective. Whoever's got the most okay. models is in control of it. But at the end of your turn, um, you could claim one square. And that's how it actually becomes yours. So if you own... 15 out of 16 of them in round one you can still only ever get one for that battle round
3: Uh, okay okay i think i'm i think i'm tracking so so.
1: my my strategy was to go up like the west side i did um one of the middle ones on the west side thinking to myself oh i can always fall back if i need to
3: but i want to so so you had to control it and then it's kind of like tic-tac-toe. You choose which one you claim out of the ones that you control.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And the thing was, me stopping Will is what stopped me from winning because, you know, I took three when he had was able to take four, right? You know? Yeah. So right. I, I, but I, I didn't have any choice because he had kind of forced the issue in the corner, so.
3: And you claimed your square at the end of your player turn, right? Not at the end of the battle round? Exactly. Oh, man. So double turn could really... Which
1: is what happened.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Uh, So the double turn,
1: the other thing that I forgot to mention, because the campaign was all tunnel-oriented, we had a lot of obstacles, and you couldn't fly for this battle. Oh. Uh, When we were talking, like, this is super fun, I would also love to see, like, this, this scoring idea without those tunnel fighting rules where you can fly, where you didn't have wandering monsters. Like if there was just like a match play battle plan that had that,
3: that would be, would interesting. be
1: interesting to see.
3: I, I was also thinking it would be interesting to see more when you mentioned tunnel battles to see more like we see with uh Necromundo or the, uh, this last campaign series with Warhammer 40,000, how it's all like, corridors in in spaceships to have more like corridor type battles in Age of Sigmar
1: yeah I know everyone with the Warcry has been thinking that like eventually we're going to go inside to Laxus and it uh, hasn't happened but I like it felt like that's where they were going to go with Warcry and then you could just do four of those for AOS right it seems right. less likely now since we've seen the roadmap
3: yeah maybe maybe down the road yeah you know, maybe maybe further down the road
1: um and then another question for you Paul we didn't really talk about but uh we've done a a white dwarf campaign with these armies mm-hmm. what are the gits going to do now
2: i mean well number one they've blinded themselves intentionally so uh it really is going to come down to whatever ends up in their face next right yeah. <laughs> so uh, that that's been kind of the one one of the fun things about this army is because the narrative is they blind themselves so that they don't get too smart right um I can blame all my bad dice rolls on my narrative right I can blame all my bad choices on my narrative so um i I don't know like i I'm having fun with them so I think Man. I'll probably keep playing them but we'll we'll see where they where they end up um fighting against and for as we move forward but I did paint up one of my uh, not the point my my Boingrat bounders yeah I painted up one of my boingra bounders that's on um, one of the not the Agridon, but the oh, raptodon the raptodon so I don't know you know like maybe I'll end <laughs> up uh, fighting some Seraphon. who knows we'll,
1: we'll
3: figure to... it out
1: nice yeah funny because I uh, my answer to that question is. I now have Seraphon. Um, what? I mean, Weird. I've had Seraphon for a while, uh, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. But we... That's, like,
2: that's I, the answer to every question. Have you had this army for a while? Yes. Every yes. army. Yes. In some way, shape, yeah. or form. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty at much.
1: this point, yeah. Um, but we were gracious enough to be given like that army box for the Seraphon. And I got the Saurus Warriors. So I do kind of want to take them for a spin for a little bit. It Mm -hmm. might not even be a full campaign. I might might see if there's another, like, white dwarf campaign uh, that would work for them just for a few battles. But I definitely want to take them to the table. And then I'll probably come back to my Slaves to Darkness um, because the Animosity campaigns are coming up in the summer. And I want to use them for that, too. So,
2: yeah, I just want to take,
1: like, a little pause for a minute and then go back to it.
2: What if, what if my uh, my grats on raptodon ended up fighting for your army because they don't know what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> right. So you got your saurus, but then you also got some gits on Raptadons. Well Wow, <laughs> um, that could be pretty it, fun.
1: It it well, because, especially because they're blind gits. Because in the Seraphon battle tome, it says the Raptodons are as smart as skinks. Yes, yeah, so they're smarter than gits. Argue- is smarter than Gits, and so they're just hanging on and stabbing things, and the Raptadons are like, they're not going to put up an argument, they'll stab whoever we run at, so let's do this. And as long as they're fighting Gits, like, they're hearing other Gits
2: around them, so like, oh, it must be, I must be uh, where I'm supposed to be.
1: <laughs> this is fine.
2: Yeah, this is all fine now. I'm, I'm just killing things, as I'm
3: intended to do. <laughs> That would be an incredible regimen of renown.
2: Oh my gosh.
3: <laughs> Get gets on Reptodons.
1: That'd be too I, good. I think
2: that that would be a pretty fun narrative. We'll we'll figure that out. Um
1: and then Harry, you played uh some battles this past month, right?
3: Yeah, so um between work just being busy and games workshop going ahead and deciding to announce a new edition of Warhammer 40,000, which I was like, I'm not getting into it, but now it looks like it's actually going to be fun and playable. <laughs> and, and then they went and released my favorite Primark of all time. Like Golden? when I started collecting, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, when I started collecting uh, Warhammer figures back in high school, the first models I got were some of those robe dark angels. Um, and they not only have they revamped Azrael, which was one of the first models I ever had, but then they released the uh, Lionel Johnson, and it's just distracted me a ton from H.O. Sigmar. But my son still plays a ton of Vermintide, and we've been listening to uh Noah Van Wynn's God Eater's Son. Nice. So that has rekindled our interest in Age of Sigmar. So we're we're getting back into it, and um, so we did get in a game here recently. A uh, couple things with setting up this game because we just wanted to to throw down. Um, we used an alternate way of selecting our armies. Basically, he picked eight units that he wanted to play with, and he said, I could pick eight of my units. Um, So we didn't really bother to calculate up points, um, but we think we were somewhere in the thousand-point range, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, And then we played on a table that was readily available, which I think was, let's see. 24. Whatever 24 plus 8 is, that's like 32. 32? Yeah. yeah. 32 by maybe 4 foot. Um, so a bit smaller than your average battle table, but for a 1,000 points, not bad. The reason the size comes into play is we were once again using the open war uh, random uh, battle plan cards. So when we drew the deployment, the deployment zones we we drew three like normal, and then we each got rid of one that we didn't like. So he got one of the one, got rid of the one that was opposing corners, um, and I got rid of one that was like two wedge shapes facing each other. And so we ended up with one that was basically two battle lines against uh, along the long edges, facing off against each other with twelve inches from the center, um, which on such a small board meant we only had a four inch territory on the end of our, um, on the end of the board. Um, so not a big deal. Basically our armies are 24 inches apart and we line up against each other. The objective that we ended up with, um, the one that was left after we each got rid of one was, set up one objective in the center of the table. And then each of us set up one in our territory, but it had to be according to the card said it had to be six inches from the edge. So obviously that couldn't be in our territory. So we just put it six inches from our edge somewhere along that line. Nice. Um, so we set up one of those. This played directly into our, our story, our narrative for this battle because both of us by this point had chosen the quest search for the artifact. His army was looking for the silver wand, which is an artifact that he wants to give to one of his casters. And my army was looking for the infernal puppet, which is an artifact out of the slaves of darkness battle tome that, um, if you've listened to past episodes, you know, uh, my, uh, chaos sorcerer Lord has been looking for, for several battles now and not so we got these three more of
2: your narrative just wasn't complete yet
3: right yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> exactly so we've got these three points of interest these three objectives treasure piles whatever you want to call them we're going out we're going to look uh try to contest those if you can control all three of them you automatically win um and was the the objective and um The twist card that we ended up choosing was Wrath of the Gods, which was a fun little twist card that I'd never seen before. This one was in the at the beginning of your hero phase. Roll three dice. If you get any sixes, pick a um, that many any however many sixes you get, pick that many uh, units in the enemy's army, and they take D three mortal wounds. Nice. So it's just random mortal wounds falling from the skies. The gods aren't happy. Um, I think his first turn at the the top of the first battle round, he got all three sixes. It was just crazy. Maybe it was two, but it was still a ton of damage, just like right out the bat. Um, and then he was giddy every time that he got to roll on that after that. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so our our armies lined up against each other they smashed into each other um he got the jump on me with his uh dawn riders and his lord regent running up what was my left flank his right flank and uh tried to tried to flank my b- battle line but there was there were four major pieces of s- scenery on the table and we used the random scenery dice and I had deadly terrain right there. So I used that kind of to shield my my army as I ran up. Hard. And um and I told him about it, but he uh he kind of Leroy Jenkins <laughs> passed the deadly terrain and and had to take a couple wounds on his Dawn riders as a result, ended up losing one of the one of the five Dawn riders as they charged in. Um just due to the deadly terrain. That was tight there. Um, charged in, had deathly furrows, had his, uh, um, oh, what's it called? The sunsteel blades or I forget the luminous yeah, uh, term had those all charged up. Um, so he was doing tons of mortal wounds and didn't wipe out the marauders, but he, he cut them in half. A uh, unit of 10 was cut to five just in that first charge. Oof thankfully the lord regent didn't make his charge he was sitting back behind them just staring at at those dawn riders running off into glory uh meanwhile the rest of my my army pushed forward i was able to get charged into his army so it was a big scrum in the middle probably three or four units on each of our armies in this massive melee in the middle of the battlefield um which was a lot of fun because I was able to take advantage of the fact that they got to the middle first and then I charged them. So they controlled the middle objective, which allowed my Chaos Warriors to get that bonus to attacks when they're fighting over an objective that's controlled by the enemy. Nice. As well as by the end of that that big scrum, all my Darko Savagers fulfilled their oath because they took control of an objective from an enemy, um, which then gives them their five up ward save. Nice. Um, probably one of the highlights of that was that next round as the, the Dawn riders were trying to finish off those Marauders and come around behind the rest of my battle line. They, they, They did a ton of damage. They did mortal wounds. They did their normal wounds. And so they killed four of the five guys. One guy was left standing and my son was like, I can't believe it. And then I was like, oh, wait, I put oracular visions on these guys. They have ward save. So the other four guys, I take four dice. I'm like, it's a six up, but maybe they don't fall down. I roll the four dice and it's three sixes. <laughs> and I just died laughing. He died <laughs> laughing. Like only one of the Marauders even died that second turn uh, of combat because Oracular Visions just saved them all, no matter what the Dawn Riders were throwing at them. So that was hilarious. Um, in the end, he was able to to get rid of those Marauders. I mean, we knew how that was going to end. Marauders are, are chaff unit anyway for Slaves to Darkness and Dawn Riders are like the shining knights of the Lumineth army so um, there wasn't any doubt in either of our minds how that combat was going to end in the uh, in the end but um, up in the middle battle Dark Oath were able to do a ton of death blows and wipe out some wardens and some sentinels Um, sentinels that got too close to the rest of the battle so pile-ins were my friend. Um, and towards the middle of the third battle round, my son realized, oh, wait, I don't care if I win, like if I get a major victory or even a minor victory out of this, what I want is that silver wand. I want to get quest points. And so he looks at the, the quest which says you get quest points for each of your units that finishes the battle in enemy territory. And remember the enemy territory on this or our our territories on this battlefield is only a four inch strip at the back of the board. And so he's like, well, my Don riders are already there and I can get my, my Lord Regent up in there. Um, Once I do that, I'm, do you mind if I concede the game, you can have the victory. (laughs) I was like, okay, yeah, good point. Yep. I, I guess I'll allow that. So halfway through the third battle round, he ended up conceding. I get the major victory, but I didn't get anybody into his territory by that point. And he did. So he got two quest points, spent glory for the third quest point and got his artifact off of one battle. Meanwhile I had already earned quest points from my previous battles and so I was able to spend a glory and I also got my artifact off of it but yeah, that's good um, but it it led to this whole line of thinking in this conversation that we started to have about how path to glory with its quest system can really change how you approach the battles now I'm not advocating just conceding as soon as you get to a point that that you fulfill your quest, but it might mean that you fight your battle a little differently and you're not fighting for what's technically a victory as far as the scenario objective goes, Mm -hmm. because you've got this other quest that you're working towards. So for instance, like with the, um, with the search for the artifact you only get quest points if you've got units still alive in enemy territory at the end of the battle. Um, You know, and in most, most battle plans, that's going to be five battle rounds, right? Um, So you've got to think about how am I going to keep my guys alive and get them into enemy territory by that fifth battle round? Yeah. Um, You know, you've got some other ones like master magical lore. If you want to learn a new spell, That's a a quest that you want to add a spell to your vault so that your wizards can swap out spells um, in future battles. You actually don't have to win the battle for that either. What you need to do is you need to be casting as many spells as possible because you get a quest point for every spell that you get an eight or better, I believe it is. Um, Yep, eight or more when you're casting. So if, even if you're casting arcane bolt, um, and it only needs a five to cast, if you roll an eight or better, you're going to get a quest point. You've got to keep track of that. Um, so you can be doing things that either are indifferent to whether or not you're winning the battle or maybe even go against what you need to do to win the battle Mm -hmm. because you're trying to get that quest. You're trying to accomplish that quest. Um, Another one that I thought of is form warriors into a battalion in order to, to get the battalion, you have to have the warriors that constitute that battalion alive at the end of the battle plan. And so you might end up playing a very defensive battle yeah just, just to form that, that battalion by the end of the battle plan.
1: Um, what I like about that one specifically is like, it's, the way the battalions work is nice because it's not that you have to say these are going to be the people that will hundred percent be in that battalion. You just need like the unit requirements. So for a battalion, with, like, right. one hero and one unit of troops, you just got to protect one unit of troops and one hero. And it could be a right. different hero that like takes the battalion in a later game.
3: Exactly. Yep. But at that point, your army has learned how to form that battalion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's
1: it's also definitely super interesting to see like how this affects the way people play because there's one thing that is a common complaint that I hope Don Bringer is, like addresses is that like for narrative play, not all the battle plans are super balanced. And they don't need to be super balanced because it's narrative play. But on top of that, people are looking at these battle plans in a vacuum. They're not looking at it from the idea of like, oh, I also need to do my quest on top of this. So sure, this battle plan may favor the attacker over the defender. But if the attacker has a quest where they also need to defend their territory, if they're doing defend the realms, then they can't go all in on the attack and it changes that strategy. So it's... It's something that I think people are missing when they're looking at like the rules for Path to Glory, uh, specifically looking at the battle plans. Is that yeah. there's another layer? Those, it's the equivalent of like secondary objectives that you need to worry right. about.
3: Exactly, and, and it, yeah, it's like a, it's almost a paradigm shift that has to take place from competitive play. Yeah, where if you if you're at a tournament. You're wanting to get those W's, right? You're wanting to get those wins, get those victories, earn points towards the, the trophy at the end. But if you're playing a path to glory, which isn't even necessarily a campaign, it's just the story of your army. We've gone over that in past episodes. You're you're doing things that, that move along the story of your army. And that may not always be winning battles. Yeah. It may be other actions that your heroes take or that your uh, plucky troops take during the course of those battles, whether they end up being victories or losses, that tell the story of your army. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, another quest example is the uh, Glory of Chaos quest out of the Slaves of Darkness battle tome. And that one doesn't get you quest points if you uh win or lose where you get your quest points from that is by making rolls on the um on the eye of the gods uh table so the more times that you can get um get progress or get attempts on the eye of the gods table the more quest points you get and it's representing the story of your character your hero Attempting to get the attention of the gods, attempting to ascend um, to to that dark apotheosis, which is the goal.
1: Yeah, and another thing is like, one like you're you're going for those quests and you're going for th- your narratives in general, like taking the dark apotheos- apotheosis. Um, but you mentioned like it doesn't. You're not always doing it in a campaign. I feel like in a campaign, I would be more likely to take the L on a mission to get a quest knowing that it could benefit me later on. Like um, one that stands out is a KO quest. And there's lots of ones that are similar to this, but there's a KO quest that you pick a sky vessel. And if it has a certain amount of renown and it survives the battle, you get another for them. It's the great endrin work, but mm-hmm. it's like another bonus. And it's like, oh, I have this awesome idea, but for it to work, I would love to have two of these bonuses or like give another mount a mount trait is a different example. Mm-hmm. And I would rather do that and lose this game, knowing I'm it will complete my strategy so I can win more of these games down the road and like do better in the campaign overall.
3: Right. And and let's be honest, the rewards for winning what is it? a major victory is four glory points, like uh, at a thousand points, yeah. you're already getting eight just for playing a game. Right. Um, so four glory is, is not nothing, but it's not the bulk of your, your reward. So yeah, sometimes you, you take the, the loss to, to pursue another goal. Yeah. And, and that just tells a better story. Yeah.
1: No, hundred percent. I'm just trying to think of, like, other quests that are out there that would be, like, super beneficial to, like, take the L in the battle now to, like, to be better off in the long run. Like, probably one with the Incarnate. I forget exactly how it works, but getting an Incarnate for a quest is definitely a lot better than the Peasley glory you would get from a victory. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, th- I think most of the ones from the core book don't necessarily reward uh, a victory. I'm trying to see if there are any, and I can't see any that are specifically rewarding a victory. I know there are a couple in the the Slaves to Darkness battle yeah. tome that reward victories, um, definitely, and that's very in character for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on you know, defend your realm, you get a quest point for each friendly unit wholly within your own territory at the end. Um, and that's in order for you to earn glory. So if you've got three units that you just hold in your back line, you're going to get 10 glory just for that.
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: So not saying to game the system, because that's not the point of path to glory at oh, all. Gosh, no. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a level of complexity that I think a lot of people overlook when they initially read through path to glory. And I want to encourage people to take another look at the quest and recognize that there's this bigger story than just the battle you're fighting. And that's the story of your army.
4: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And with that being said, talking about like the larger stories, We also had an ask out for the audience that like their ways of doing longer stories, specifically with campaigns. And you had mentioned you use the open war cards for this latest battle. That was also the thing that's up for the grabs. We had a little uh, giveaway and we were going to roll a die randomly for one of the folks that offered their opinions on how to run a Path to Glory like campaign for a group.
3: Yeah, I just, I, you know, first of all, I want to, I want to give a shout out to all the people that, that participate in our discord discussions on the mortal realms discord, which is com forward slash discord, or I believe it is www.discord.com forward slash the mortal realms. Um, and, and, it, when you go and join that server, and as Aaron reminds us, you you know, spend every waking moment in there just waiting for him to ask uh, what questions you have. Um, you also have the opportunity to engage a lot of like-minded people, whether um, that's in Path to Glory discussions or Warcry or Underworlds or anything Age of Sigmar related. Um, but but especially in our Path to Glory discussion channel, we've had some great discussions about uh, what does it look like to play a campaign using the Path to Glory rules and what are some different ways that people are doing that. And so I want to just thank everybody for participating in that. And I've got 11 people that I've uh, noted down here as being active um, since we Uh, put the request out there for um, people's input. Um, I think it was two episodes ago. And so without further ado, I'm going to roll this D12. And if I get a 12, I'm going to have to reroll it because there's only 11 names here. And the winner is going to get an unopened deck of the open war cards that I've been using to generate our battle plans here. Um, in my house. So here we go. It is. Six. So that is Ricky. Hey. Um, if. Uh, if you guys don't follow Ricky on Twitter. By the way. Uh, you're missing out. Oh my god, Ricky yes. is constantly coming up. With incredibly narrative. Uh, concepts. For conversions. Uh, he loves kit bashing. Um, and has just he's always a font of new ideas. I don't know where you get your imagination from Ricky, but I love it. um, keep doing what you do, but uh congratulations, Ricky. I will get with you on discord and uh and get your information to send these cards out to you.
1: perfect, and what's great is I know- R- Ricky plays at Warhammer World, so these cards will will make their way back home.
3: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. And on top of that, like those great conversations we had, we also had some listener questions that we wanted to um, address here before we end the episode. Oh yeah. Uh, so first question is from Domir, who's actually one of our F- free guild patrons for the mortal realms network. Uh, thank and you. yes, thank you so much. Yes. And I think there might also be a local in Madison. Um, I think they go to Warcry League night. Nice. They're going to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, (laughs) They ask, uh, what is the best narrative threat? Which is definitely a vague question. So I want to hear how you guys interpret that before I give my answer. Well,
2: I immediately thought of the uh, Realm of Plastic um, Insult, popular insults of the Mortal Realms. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm going to read a couple off for you here. Uh, this one is a good one. Get away and shove your face in a whirl way, you cowardly twerp. Right? Like, I mean, maybe if you're playing against threat. That'd, right? that'd totally work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, be gone and throw thine backside atop a gargant's jockstrap, thou dung covered dog. Right? <laughs> Which. Rough. Yeah. Exactly. Or, yeah. uh, shut up and throw thine brain atop a plague pit thou worthless sneak. Now, <clears throat> these could easily be turned into a threat, alright? So, oh, I'm yeah. just saying, like, you got some options there, Domir. So.
3: I guess I read it as, like, <laughs> who's the biggest bad guy that you can have at in a narrative? Oh, uh, I mean... And, uh, I, <laughs> maybe I was influenced by his, his avatar here <laughs> in the chat, but I was gonna say skaven always skaven
2: I mean, that's that's not a fart. That's not a bad shout, I should say. Um, I, as far as the biggest narrative threat, I, I think it's Sigmar is the biggest narrative threat because he's got <laughs> so much, but he's never actually done anything, right? So he's definitely a threat. But as far as like actionable things that he's done, we haven't really seen anything in the Age of Sigmar of him personally. So
1: yeah, true um i had the same interpretation but i knew it was vague enough that i wanted to see um so i'm gonna actually go for like the second interpretation of this question that i had which was what is a great narrative thread for your path to glory army um (laughs) Hmm. and like how you could tie that into your narrative like that's outside of enemy armies um which also to be honest one of my answers is also the biggest narrative threat in general, which is just nothing beats a surprise Bellacor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, was Bellacor. Just having a, I just had a chat with some folks of like Bellacor's motives. Like he, he says his stated goal is he just wants to overthrow Archaon and become the ever chosen. He doesn't really have much of a stated goal outside of, like once he does that, there's not much else he has planned, and everything we've seen him do has just been a furthering of that goal. So at right. any moment he can just—he's sh- like the not Deus X, Damon X Machina that will just sh- show up to ruin anything. <laughs> so at any moment you can just say, "Yeah, oh yeah, Bellicor is the biggest threat to my army."
3: Uh, right, right.
2: But on I, top I,
1: of that, go ahead. Oh, sorry.
2: No, you go. I'm, I'm just imagining that Bellacor is actually just this massive pedantic person, right? So oh he's, he's a massive threat. Not because he actually has this much power, but he just shows up and he starts like quoting the rules or like being like, well, actually, uh, this yeah. is how this would work for the cursed guys in the mortal realm. Like, he just shows up <laughs> and like bores everybody to death with like, did you hear about that one time that I was almost the all chosen? Come on, like, I I should have been the ever chosen, and mm-hmm. like everybody's just like, can we can we just stop with the ever chosen thing at this point? Like it's been how many millennia? Like we get it. You're you're annoyed. Moving on. Yeah. And he's like, but I right. almost was the ever chosen. <laughs> like, do you <laughs> understand how much this has affected? Yeah, no. So I'm just imagining <laughs> he's just the whiny guy in the corner that everybody's like, oh, can he? Do-? He's talking about being the ever chosen again.
1: And-
3: you, you know, Paul, that that plays into. The other possible reading I had of this question <laughs> is what's the best threat to playing narrative? Yeah. And to me, that's always going to be the rules. Not that the rules are bad, but don't let them get in the way. Yeah. Like, tell your story if, if uh, you know, like. My son and I wanted to play, we wanted to play a relatively quick game, which I don't think there is such thing as a quick game of Age of Sigmar, but relatively quick game. We didn't want to take a lot of time writing out our list. We're just like, let's get some units on the table and we'll play. Like, no one says you have to follow a rule if it's something that you and your opponent don't want to do. Exactly. Tell the story you want to tell.
2: Um, Yeah. the, The other thing is, one of the things that can be the biggest threat to narrative gaming is actually narrative. Because, like My Will dear. and I have had many times, where, are like, "Hey, we should play a game." How about we just talk about narrative instead? Okay, right? And then you're like, "Oh, we need <laughs> yeah. a game in." Oops, we're supposed yeah. to play. Yeah. yeah. So.
1: Um, yeah, and then actually, what you were saying, Harry, kind of ties into uh, another question that was asked by Nuno. Uh, he had asked us a few questions. Uh, this one is: What things do you avoid, or others have shared with you to avoid? And for me, that would come to worrying about the rules too much. Yep. yep. Um, like, it's important, obviously, that you know the rules for your army and know the rules of the game. But, like, it's the whole point is that you're telling stories. Don't focus on being the best player necessarily. Like, have a good game. Right. Have fun. But if you're looking at this and look, if, trying to determine the balance of a battle plan for a narrative game you might probably be leaning towards doing competitive or match play um yeah, just, yeah.
3: which is fine yeah. it's just sometimes it gets in the way of telling a good story yeah and, and, it's, yeah. and personally like remember hammer is the hardest game and uh, you um, know i just i'll play an entire game and forget that i had a command train um, because oh my God, yeah I, it's just a lot to keep in my head yeah
2: And the other thing I would add is that um, in the interest of making a cool narrative, making up too many rules to add to the game. Because you're like, oh, but we have this cool narrative. What if we did this rule? What if we did this rule? What if we did this rule? Right? Because at that point, instead of like trying to play out the narrative, you're trying to create a battle plan that plays out the narrative for you. If that makes sense. Right. And it actually... Typically, when we've played games like that, when I've been like, we have all these 17 rules that we should play, it actually is harder to come up with a narrative because you've decided how the game is going to play based on the battle plan. But then the battle plan doesn't actually play out the way that you would make sense out of the narrative, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like you're too busy trying to force the narrative onto the game that you've actually choked out the dead space that allows the narrative to happen
3: yeah we like to here we like to play games where we just play with the rules as best as we can remember them and then we kind of tell the story of what just happened you know? Yeah. so we're not as hung up on like trying to get a certain story as much as being like why in the world do those four marauders just survive that onslaught from those um and dawn riders and and kind of talking through that story and having a laugh
1: yeah um And then, I don't know if you all are doing this on purpose, because you do have access to the same notes I do. Uh, But something Paul had said ties into the next question, which is how to best framework a campaign beyond the same simple path to glory progression league, map, high score roster, wins, all like as potential options. And I just wanted to throw out a mirror of what you had said, Paul, about not overcomplicating a battle with rules. I think also don't and this is part of the conversations that people had as part of like the the giveaway is like don't overcomplicate a campaign with too many rules. Right. Um, like it's definitely important to have these frameworks but if you keep on tacking an additional rule set on top of the Path to Glory rule set which is on top of the Age of Sigmar rule set it's going to get more confusing for people.
3: Right. And, and it's been part of the conversation that that's been ongoing in the discord is, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to know how to pace a campaign and how to establish an end point to the campaign. Yeah. So that you can say, okay, the campaign's done. We've achieved X um, or, you know, this person's a winner, or, you know, we're all winners. Um, <laughs> how right. whatever the case <laughs> may be. Um I know as far as uh, a mechanism I'm gonna give a shout back to Nuno on this who's the one who asked the question but he showed a great adaptation of I think something from White Dwarf uh, where he has a card that gives points it's kind of like a it reminded me of like a loyalty card that you might get at a coffee shop. <laughs> um, but you get points for doing different things, like playing a campaign la- battle, winning a victory, uh, using a narrative battle plan, um, but also hobby stuff, like adding a newly painted unit to your roster or making a converted model for one of your heroes or monsters. Um, you get points for that. And so it, it allows you to to get a different type of progression beyond what's already built into the path to glory, um, system for your own army. Uh, you know, there, I, I think you could argue that the campaign and the path to glory are kind of, they coincide with each other, but they're not necessarily codependent on each other. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, you could, you could do one or the other or both. Um, and I think that's fine. It's like we were talking in previous episodes. Path to Glory is not really a campaign system as much as it's a narrative system for your army. But you can use a lot of different campaign systems to do that.
1: Yeah. And one that always sticks out to me that I keep on like wanting to try, but there's never been a good opportunity, is first off, White Dwarf they'll have campaigns. I even think the next white dwarf specifically says it has another campaign in it mm-hmm. and stealing those ideas and using those would be perfect. Uh, and mm-hmm. one specifically I, I love is before the new soul blight vampire battle tone came out, they had gotten a white dwarf update to bring them to third edition and it gave them path to glory rules and it created A Soaplay Vampire's White Dwarf campaign, which the lore was everyone was a different vampire house, and they created a map campaign. But the scoring for the map campaign was like separate from like Path to Glory itself, which all of these Mm -hmm. campaigns do. And it was like, oh, if you win a battle, you can pick a spot on the map, and there's like 16 spots at the end, whoever has the most victories or most map spots wins, but there are ways like, Oh, if someone's ahead by a lot and then they lose a game or something happens, someone can like burn one of their territories. And it just seemed to like solve a lot of the issues people have with map campaigns, which is like fighting over the same spot over and over again, or a runaway Victor. Right. But you could still do like match play battle plans or you could you could do path to glory as a league. And I think taking white dwarf campaigns and just using those as like the framework, which again is what know did with the flashpoint Rondel stuff.
3: Yeah, Yeah.
1: They, they have the tools, take them, bend them, twist them, rewrite them, do whatever you need to do. But I think a lot of the answers for like how to run something like this is out there. It is kind of given to us and we kind of just choose which ones we want to use.
3: Yeah. One thing that came to me here recently, and I I'm curious what others are doing with this is the idea of when you make your exploration role in the aftermath, but you choose not to take that territory, Mm -hmm. adding that to either a a roster of territories up for grabs or even drawing it out on a map. So as the armies are exploring, you're also finding these other territories that maybe you could fight battles over in the future um, that, that haven't been claimed because, you know, maybe you don't have enough glory or maybe it's just, you don't have the room in your, with your current stronghold level, or maybe it's just not what you're looking for at the time. So you don't want to spend the glory on it, but I've had several territories I've rolled up that aren't bad territories, but I'm not adding them to my roster. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd be curious, uh, listeners, tell us what what do you do with the territories that you don't take and has anybody thought of a way of incorporating that into a campaign with their group?
2: That'd be fun. I like that.
1: Yeah. I like that a lot. Which is a good house rule, which is another one of the questions, which <laughs> is <isn't> any popular <laughs> house rules. <laughs> um, no, that's definitely one of them. Uh, another one that I've seen and I've talked about on the Discord server. It's not even a house rule necessarily because it's all legal and it's all allowed in the Path to Glory battle pack. But it's, um, say someone is really down. um, Like they suffered a lot of casualties. They're behind a lot on glory. They're taking a part of like a larger campaign with a lot of folks. And unfortunately, they're falling behind and it's becoming like unfun because they're spending all they they're just constantly sliding back one of the rules that is allowed is you can play match play games and count those towards your path of glory mm-hmm. which means you can play a game with your full army again um without having any of the casualty scores and at the end you don't suffer the consequences
3: yep you, you still earn the glory You just skip step two of the aftermath, which is the casualties.
1: Yeah, so you can take all that brand new extra glory you have. Who knows, maybe even being at full strength allows you to win. Like, you may have just had a bad matchup because you've been down on casualties. And that all that stuff can allow you to bounce back. And it may just be the break you need. And the reason I also love it is it's not a detriment to your opponent. So often a lot of like quote unquote catch up mechanics feel like it's doing a disservice to the person you're playing against to allow you to catch up. Mm -hmm. Nope. They also get the same benefits. It's good for them too. They're probably happy with it.
3: Yeah. And if you want to, if you want to add a little more narrative into that, um, you could, you could, if you've got enough opponents or you've got enough armies between you and your regular opponent, um, you could pick two armies from the same, uh, same grand alliance, and call it a training mission, Ooh. and then you just don't take the the casualties, but you still get the the value from the the mission itself. Maybe skip the exploration goal yeah. too.
1: Maybe have it be a flashback battle.
3: Yeah, there you go.
2: Um, the other thing I would say as a house rule is everybody should know. There is a free app you can use, right, uh, for um, Age of Sigmar, right? But there's also yep. mm-hmm. another free app that has all the old War Scrolls yes. in it, right? Um, yeah. Yep. So get that old one and just use rules that are in there too, right? Like, yeah, d- find models that you think are cool, right, or just different or interesting and just... Have fun. Use them. Right? Like, it. It's narrative gaming. If you're like, if you found a model that you're like, this is super awesome, but it doesn't have rules. Just go and use the other, the other app. It's fine.
3: <laughs> yep. Yeah. All, all the old Silver Tower War Scrolls. Yes. Are still out there. Yeah. Exactly. Like there are grots that are mixed with spiders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they only exist in that game. Exactly. But they exist. Yeah. They do exist. Um. I mean, yeah. It, Age of Apo or um, Anvil of Apotheosis rules, um, any old war scrolls, any legends war scrolls, all that stuff. Um, I mean, call it a house rule if you want, but those are all fair game and narrative gaming. Um, and bring all that stuff in. I I'm hoping that we see, you know, as as we get to the maturity of third edition, and we start maybe wish listing for. Fourth edition Age of Sigmar. I hope we see an even more robust path to glory that includes uh, an anvil of apotheosis type mechanic um, for creating your heroes, um, for maybe even creating custom units or sub factions. I know you guys talked about that some on the last episode. Um, you know, being able to do custom sub factions within, within the main battle terms. Yeah. Um, and then while we're wishlisting, uh, I'd love to see that, that OC, um, characteristic added to age of signal, uh, war scrolls as well. The, it's the objective control mechanic that they're adding to 10th edition, Warhammer 40,000.
1: The mechanic is there. in this current edition of AOS. it's just not on the war scroll.
3: Right, right, right. Just put it on the war scroll. That would be so nice just to have that because then you can have, yeah, you can do a lot once it's formalized into a mechanic.
1: Yeah. And yeah, the other fun thing we had joked about this before, um, but like the fact came out and the monstrous Arcanum or the forge world monsters aren't legal anymore.
2: In match, specifically
1: in match play, in match
3: play. Yes. Still legal in narrative. (laughs) Right. Like the local group here, um, was you know all upset about it and worried like oh no what am i going to play these as you know i have all this money in my forge and i'm like just play with them yeah just do it like we could all just be cool and use the old models and and war scrolls and games workshop isn't going to kick in the doors of the local shop Mm -hmm. and like arrest yeah call it a store
1: rule or something
3: right like it's not Unless we we're going to tournaments, it's not a big deal, folks. <laughs> like, yeah, it's really okay. But it is. It's gonna be fine.
1: Yeah, that's always the thing that surprises me the most when something like that comes out, or where it's like, oh yeah, technically you can't use the war scrolls that are in the app because they don't, they're not on the pitch battle profile list. And sometimes tournaments will enforce that, and other times, like events, will just be like, no, use it.
4: <laughs> like, why wouldn't
1: you just use it? We, right. We'll put it in the pack. You're allowed to use it now. You have permission.
3: Right. And and I get it. If if you're able to go to uh, an event a month or something, and this, that's your life is, is one that allows a ton of competitive play, then yeah, I'd be concerned about that too. But yeah. for me, for most people I know, we're playing casually – on the weekends, you know, after hours with friends or family, you know, not not playing for keeps here, so it's not a big deal.
1: Agreed. Yeah, Have fun and play and with, with your you toys. Know. Oh yeah, right, right. You you have the toys. Some some people even painted them. Like they're not going to go away. <laughs> some
3: people even. <laughs>
1: Um, especially like a Forge World one. Like, if you painted that thing, like, don't chuck it in the bin. Like, yeah, I'm definitely like, not throwing
3: away. Send it copy. to me. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then I know uh, Nuno had asked a few more questions, and we might cover those on uh, a future episode because there there's a lot of good questions and there's a
3: yeah don't burn. great questions.
1: Yes, thank you. Um. Yeah. With that being said, anything else you all want to add before we wrap up?
3: i think i'm pretty good nope yeah i'm glad we were able to to go over what we've been doing lately Mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to all this stuff especially as they they release more narrative with this Mm -hmm. campaign um we'll see where the story goes Uh, we've been listening to a lot of a lot of books here in my house so hamilcar and and uh God Eater's Son, um, Grombrindle. So there's a ton of fun stuff going on in the Mortal Realms. just want to see what, what happens with the game itself. Yeah, yeah
1: especially with Paths of Glory rules becoming free.
3: Yeah. Right. That will be awesome. Yeah, there, there's
2: so much lore right now. It's just absolutely insane, right? We're getting yeah. Black Library books. We're getting the White Dwarf supplements. And then all the battle tomes, like, just... People are like, "Oh, nothing happens in the mortal realms, no, no, everything is right. happening in the mortal realms constantly, yeah. like we we've yeah. moved so far and so fast it's it's amazing, yeah,
3: yeah, and it's a big change from the old world, um not not the new game, the old world but the the, the Warhammer fantasy battles, old world, where the the story didn't move forward that much, or sometimes it would move forward and then they'd move it back, yeah <laughs> um that happened in Warhammer, <laughs> for those fantasy. of us all, yeah. Right, that's what I that's what I'm saying. If if you're old enough to remember the uh the end of the world that didn't happen. Yeah. Um and uh but but Age of Sigmar moves forward with every new battle type. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, there's new stuff going on, there's new story being told. Um and then at the risk of of uh sounding too much like a fanboy, Warhammer Plus, Warhammer TV, guys, if you're not watching that you're not taking advantage of some of the, the best content out there for telling the story. Do I wish they had more? Absolutely. But what they are putting out is amazing. Um, yeah. you know, they just released another hammer and bolter episode that takes place in hammer hall. It's got some old favorites from, uh, from Warhammer age of Sigmar, um, early novels, uh, Callus and Toll, if you guys know them. Um, Doing Alpha on New Adventures in Hammerhall. And I don't want to spoil anything for those who haven't watched the episode yet. Um, We've got Black Talon. We mentioned that earlier. Um, There's tons of little tidbits in there about just the way Stormcasts interact with each other, the way they interact with the Mortal Realms themselves, other factions. um, What Shadowstalkers cloaks actually look like when they're able to move and they're not just something you paint, Um mm-hmm. yeah, amazing stuff, folks. Check it out.
2: And hey, I mean, if you want to hear more about the lore, maybe you should check out the Story Face, the saying.
3: Yep,
1: the Story Face. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, like, with all the stuff coming out and with the Don Bringer books coming out, this might just be weird or slash knocking on wood, but this might be one of one of the last episodes were like this might be our format because we might be covering a lot more narrative rules and stuff coming out in like these future books. Like,
2: yep, um, who knows? Um,
1: we'll, well, I mean, obviously, we like the show the way it is and we're going to stick to that, but I feel like there's going to be a lot more content coming from Games Workshop for us to talk about specifically, like with this show. Um, I think so, and I am looking forward to that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And with that being said, dear listeners, our fire has at last burned down to embers, and we must take to the path once more. If you enjoyed your time with us, consider leaving us a positive review on your podcast platform of choice, or you can leave a tip over on our Patreon at themortalrealms.com Patreon. If you'd like to share your stories with us, you can head on over to our Twitter at PathToStory, or you can chat with us on our Discord at themortalrealms.com Discord. And if you want to email us, you can email us at pathastory at gmail.com. Finally, if you'd like to keep us company on the road, Harry, where can they find you online at?
3: Well, the most reliable place to find me online right now is in our Discord server, uh, where I am uh, under the name of Harry slash patthestory. And uh, every now and then I'm checking Twitter, but I am taking a little break from it. And uh, on there I am... At Toy Soldier Fun.
1: Paul, where can they find you at? At PJ Shard. And you can find me on Twitter at Age of Sever, or you can find me on the Discord simply as Sever. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again real soon.
4: You're a terrible the you